Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is your New York correspondent, Walter Winchell, representing the Navy Relief Society. The sponsor of this program and the beneficiary of the great heavyweight championship fight on Friday night. This is a program to keep you entertained for the next 30 minutes. And also to preview Mutual's championship fight between heavyweight champion Joe Lewis and Buddy Bear. It is staged by Mike Jacobs, the country's number one boxing promoter, Friday night at Madison Square Garden, New York. Besides the delightful adventures and melody of Dave Rose's orchestra and Betty Jane Rhodes from Hollywood, you will hear the talented Walter Houston and Brian Donletty in an original dramatization. Mr. Houston and Mr. Donlevy are appearing on this Navy Relief Show as member representatives of the Hollywood Victory Committee for Stage, Screen, and Radio. Then, from Greenwood Lake, New York, you will hear the voice of Joe Lewis, the heavyweight champion of the world. The magic carpet now takes you to KHJ, Hollywood, California. Good evening from Hollywood, America. Here is music for you and the Navy. David Rose's orchestra, conducted by Lou Bring and the voice of Betty Rhodes. The song is the title song from Betty Rhodes' most recent picture, The Fleet's In. Hey there, mister, you better hide your sister, cause the fleet's in, the fleet's in. Hey there, mister, don't say nobody's kisser, cause the fleet's in, the fleet's in. If they do as well on the sea as they do on the shore, hey there, Congress, you can tax it some more. Get me, I'm always getting hey there, rookie. You better call your cookie and your sweet the fleeters. They'll take anything if it is a nail. Anchors away, mates. Full speed ahead. Back to the WOR Mutual Studios in New York. This is Walter Winchell again, back in New York City. Friday night, and about unique in the annals of boxing, Joe Lewis gives Buddy Bear another crack at the heavyweight championship. The fight is unique in that both Joe Lewis and promoter Mike Jacobs 
are donating their share of the purse to the Navy Relief Society. And let's salute Mike Jacobs for turning over his star attraction to this very worthy cause. It is first and always a great fight, and second, a charity event of mammoth proportions. Last May, Lewis and Bear clashed in Griffith Stadium in Washington, D.C., and the result was one of the most thrilling and controversial matches in boxing's long history. It is worth going back to that first Bear-Lewis fight. Here is Mutual Sports and Special Features Director Tom Slater to tell you about it. Thank you, Walter Winchell. Well, this fight is really the story of two brothers and the boy who became a man under a baptism of fire. It all began when Buddy Bear, a huge 245-pound kid, was signed by promoter Mike Jacobs to fight Joe Lewis the first time. For ten years, the name Bear had been a legend in boxing. But it was never Buddy Bear. It was always handsome, dashing, wise-cracking Max who caught the fancy of the crowd. Max, the unpredictable, the showman, the clown. In the shadow, this great thespian of the ring had huddled the huge, shy figure of Buddy Bear. No one took him seriously. He won fights, but he was just Max's brother. Max treated him with a pat on the head, and so did the boxing world. Even after Max had faded from the futuristic scene, this still happened. It was just Max's brother. He went about his training sullenly, convinced that no matter what he did, he would always be just Max's brother. And so it was that alone, Buddy walked down the aisle to the ring that night as the crowd gazed at him in silence, just Max's brother. A few minutes later, the fight began, and let's go to the ringside on that night with Don Dunphy. It's midway in the first round. Now Joe Lewis drives a sharp left hand to Buddy Bear's head, and Bear retaliates with a left and a right to the champ Buddy. Try to step back. They're sparring for an opening. Bear moves in again and smashes a terrific left hook to Lewis's chin. Joe is down. He's fallen through the rope. Lewis is out of the ring. Referee is counting. It's two, three, four. Joe is climbing back in again. Now the fighters are returning to their corner. But wait a moment. Referee Arthur Donovan is calling him back. The bell has not rung. Joe Lewis leads with a light left hand. He fires another hard right. And the second later, the bell did sound, ending the most exciting round since the memorable Dempsey-Furpo fight. 35,000 spectators in Griffith Stadium stood and roared as the two men slugged and fought through the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth rounds. The sixth had almost ended when... And standing toe-to-toe, the champion and challenger are trading, smashing left and right to the head and body. Now they go into a clinch. The referee separates them. Now Joe Lewis comes out and lashes with a terrific right hand to Bear's face. Buddy is down. The count is two. It's three. He's getting up to one knee. Four, five, six, seven. He's up again. Lewis is moving in for the kill. He fires a hard right hand to Bear's head. Lewis misses with a right to the head, but follows with a hard left hand, and Bear is down again. Buddy is struggling to his feet. He's punching back like a wild man. Joe Lewis is giving ground, but Joe fires a terrific right hand just at the bell. Buddy Bear is down. But wait a second. Ansel Hoffman, the manager of Bear, is in the ring. He's asking referee Arthur Donovan to disqualify Lewis for hitting after the bell. Newspaper men, spectators are in the ring. Confusion is everywhere. The bell has sounded for the seventh round, but Ansel Hoffman claims a foul. Every man and woman is screaming at the top of his lungs. And so ended one of the most exciting and controversial spectacles ever seen in a prize ring. A few minutes later... Buddy Bear, tears of impotent rage streaming down his face, looked up from the corner of his dressing room. For the moment, the youngster tried to speak, but suddenly his eyes wandered off into space. But what's that? He murmured through cut and bleeding lips. 
Bear's manager rushed over. Why, that's the cheers of the crowd, said the manager. Well, cheering for Lewis, I suppose, said Bear. Lewis, shrieked the manager. They're not cheering for Lewis. Listen, they're cheering for you, Buddy Bear. The youngster listened, and then slowly, silently, he got up and began to dress. For the first time, Buddy Bear stood erect, drawn up to his full height of six feet, six and one-half inches. A boy had become a man under a baptism of fire. Buddy Bear was no longer just Max's brother. Thank you, gentlemen. That was thrilling, as thrilling as the fight itself. Ladies and gentlemen, please allow me to say thanks again to the great many of you who voluntarily sent me $1 bills and other contributions for the Navy Relief Society. Two Sunday nights ago, I first spoke of this charity over the air without making an appeal for money. The next morning, my desk at the Daily Mirror in New York City was bombarded with hundreds of letters containing dollar bills and checks. And so, for the officers and the men of the Navy, thank you very, very much. To tell you the merits of the Navy Relief Society would be to challenge your common sense. I know that you know that all charities are wonderful, as wonderful as the word charity. Let it suffice, then, please, to tell you that the fund is usually supported by the officers and the men of the Navy themselves, and that it helps the nearest of kin and the families of Navy men everywhere. For example, as soon as Pearl Harbor and the Philippines were bombed, the Navy Relief Society cabled $50,000. That tells the story, I think. Not one Navy family went hungry or without shelter because of the Japs' low blows. If you were among those who sent a dollar, or if you are going to be one of the 21,000 to attend the Madison Square Garden fight Friday night next, you can certainly feel that your dollar will be your personal hand grenade. The Magic Carpet takes you now to the training camp of Joe Lewis at Greenwood Lake, New York. Yes, we're up at Virtio's camp at Greenwood Lake, New York. And in this corner, big as life, is Joe Lewis, 19 title defenses older than when he won the World Heavyweight Championship back in 1937. You know, Joe remembers a bit of this and that about each contender, but he recalls a great deal about Buddy Bear. I sure do. Six feet, six and one-half inches of him. <laughs> well, tell us about that fight. Well, Dan, it was short but not sweet. There I was, head first, outside of the rope, looking up at Buddy Bear. All I could think of was Empire State Building. <laughs> well, seriously speaking, Joe, what makes you think Bear will not repeat? Not nothing is sudden in boxing. This time, I'll be watching Bear left and right. What do you mean, Joe, left and right? Before the last fight, I will one look out for Buddy's right. That wasn't right. Why? Because it was not left that sent me outside the rope. I think I see what you mean. Well... Time even matters up. You stopped him in the seventh round, didn't you, Joe? Yes, but it's proven one thing. They're a game guy, like all good fighting Americans. He keeps coming back and dishing it out. And he'll be coming back again Friday night. How do you feel about that? That's okay with me for two reasons. What's the first reason, Joe? Well, I'll be helping the Navy Relief Society. A very good cause. Yes, Joe, you're donating your entire purse to the Navy Relief Society. Uh, isn't this the first time a heavyweight champion is fighting for nothing? For nothing? I'm risking my towel for my country. And, Joe, that's a lot. 
our country. Yes, Dan, I'm fighting for the thing that make it possible for me to become the heavyweight champion of the world. American land of opportunity means a whole lot to me. You certainly punch with more than your educated fists. You punch with those words, Joe. Now tell me, what's the second reason for wanting to fight Bayer again? I want to wipe out that funny finishing of the Washington fight. And uh, how do you call it for Friday night? This time I want to make it clean cut. I'm going to take aim and keep punching. That's a good idea. That's right. I'm going to take aim and keep punching. That goes for you too, Mr. Hiller, and your buddies. Thank you, heavyweight champion Joe Lewis. And back to Walter Winchell in New York. Thank you, Joe Lewis. There's very little I or anyone can say by way of appreciation for what you are doing. That appreciation will be eloquently expressed by the deafening applause from the fans at the garden when you step into the ring on Friday night. And so, Joe, until then, this is your New York correspondent, Walter Winchell, again saying thanks for the Navy Relief Society. The magic carpet switches you once again to KHJ Hollywood, California. You've been listening to what those fellows had to say, Winchell, Joe Lewis, and all of them? Yes, I have. Mighty swell guy, don't you think? Mighty swell, mighty. Yeah. Uh, my name's Walter Houston. Glad to know you, Walter. You know, uh, just the other day I was talking about the Navy to a friend of mine. You know him, former Navy man, Brian Dunleavy. He's an actor now, works in motion pictures. Oh, yes, yes. We were talking about the Navy, he and I. Oh, about a lot of things. Things that those fellows have been talking about, you know, about how easily and naturally and fearlessly it started. And then went about the job it had to do. That was, uh, well, let's see, 102, 43, that was 165 years ago. It's a long time, 165 years. And yet, you know, the Navy, those raucous, brawny privateers, started way back there, has never let us down. Never once stopped serving the United States faithfully and honestly against all their enemies. That's what their oath says. The oath a sailor takes when he joins up. I will bear true faith and allegiance to the United States of America, and I will serve them faithfully and honestly against all their enemies whomsoever. I guess everything else has changed in the Navy in 165 years, but not the spirit. The purpose behind it. The purpose in that oath. Ever stop to think what that oath means? Well, for one thing... Well, I uh... mean, what it means to a fellow... Well, any young fellow who decides to enlist. I don't care who he is, where he comes from, New York, Chicago, Oshkosh, Podunk, <laughs> East, West, anywhere. You know, young America. Now, let's take uh, Oshkosh. There's a strapping young fellow. Smart, strong, able... He's decided, so he signs up. Goes to a naval recruiting office. Right in his own hometown, Yeah, yes, New York, Oshkosh, wherever it is. He signs up and he waits for orders. Dreams about ships and planes. He wants action. So he does. Sure he does. Plenty of it. He loves it. But first, he's got to know what to do and how to do it well. They send him to a training station. Out at San Diego. San Diego, yes. Or maybe Newport, back in Rhode Island, or Hampton Roads. Great Lakes, wherever it is, he's learning. He must learn to be neat. He learns to be punctual. He learns cooperation, discipline. And he remembers the oath he took to defend his country honestly and faithfully against all her enemies, 
whomsoever. And he'll do it, too. He's a great kid. No, no, no. He, he isn't a kid now. No, he's a man. Look at him. He's finished his basic training. He's standing his watch. The ship on the line now. He's been on the deck force. He isn't a kid. He's a man. Well-trained, full-fledged sailor in the United States Navy. <laughs> Look at him now. Look at that young Navy man now. Fine young fellow. <laughs> Look at him standing on the deck of the battleship. Look at him swabbing off the deck of that destroyer. Serving his gun on that cruiser. Flying that rocketing airplane. He's in the Navy. But he's only started. Oh, yes. Yes, he can go to school, trade school. He can become a pipe fitter, a radio engineer, gunner's mate, commander, an admiral if he wants to. Admiral John Doe. He's a great guy. He's one of the men who helped to mold the destiny of this country. His very life is the life of hope and freedom. A great guy, that sailor. He thinks like a genius. He acts like a perfect, precise machine. He has the courage of Ajax. 1942. But you know, it wasn't always. Once upon a time, we didn't even have a Navy, remember? Yep, I remember. Remember how the colonies cheered when Washington took command of their army? Most everybody did. But Washington had a lot of bad luck. Bad luck? It plagued him, it trailed him, followed him, cursed him with failing confidence. There was dissension wrangling. There was desertion and defeat. Defeat at Quebec, White Plains. All this, the prelude to Boston. There sits a great general and a great man. There sits George Washington. A crude desk, chair or two, his headquarters. Before him within the city, a trapped enemy. But the voices of the very people for whom he lived echoed ridicule in his consciousness. Why doesn't he win a great victory? Why? He has guns. But there are no munitions. The enemy is trapped in Boston. Defeat him. How? How? How without support? How when Philadelphia does nothing? Starve him out. Starve him. Starve him how? <laughs> he has the sea at his back. The sea is his. We want a victory. Let's win this war or stop it. Stop it, I say. It's foolish. How can you say it's foolish? It's a fight for humanity. Get it? rid of him. Get rid of Washington. We want action. Action. Victory. Victory. Get rid of Washington. Action. Victory. Washington. Action. Action. Wipe down. Wipe down. Batman hatches, will you? Stow it. Do you hear? Stow it. Sir, may I ask, are you? Well, men call me Broughton. Captain Nicholas Broughton of Rhode Island. Good evening, sir. Broughton, an uncommon name, but an uncommon title. Uh, to be sure, uh, Captain, eh? Yes, sir, Captain of my own ship. Hmm, well, uh, how can you help? What, what do you want? Letters of mark and reprisal. If I can get General Washington's name on a piece of paper that says, I can arm my ship and fly the American flag... I and my friends will show you what we can do. Give me the letters, the guns, the flag, and 30 days at sea. <laughs> I'll bring back powder enough to hold our independence for a hundred years. Well, George signed. He signed. 
and Captain Nicholson Barton sailed. The friends he spoke of sailed with him out into the rough open sea and into the history of the great nation whose foundations they made firm. Hopkins, Barry, Middle, Perry, Rogers, Decatur, brave men, great men all, toughened by hard living and hard work. Sailors, as some men are poets and makers of music. Sailors with all their hearts. They sailed out to win Boston and paved the way to freedom for the colonies. Sailed against the superior enemy, seeking to find him and to fight. Hi, Mr. Bagley. Off the starboard quarter, I heard. What is she? Can you make her out? She wears enemy colors, Captain. Mm-hmm. Big one. Aye, sir. <laughs> A rich one, too, I'll wager. Aye, and riding low. Mm-hmm. Hold full of powder for General Washington, or I miss my guess. <laughs> Put your helm on! She looks top gun us two to one, sir. Aye, Coming about to cross our bow, I do believe. <laughs> Listen. We're flying the American flag. Ain't that enough? <laughs> Go to blazes! Man your battle stations. Prepare to open fire. Stand by to repel borders. Put your helm a bit there. Ready. Commence firing. And that was the birth of the United States Navy. With one broadside, from one little ship, one day, one hour... 165 years ago, those men knew one thing. Their country needed munitions, powder to make its spirit count for liberty and peace and freedom among men. Yep, but I don't reckon they knew how much it meant. Fifteen days. No word from Broughton at sea. Twenty days. People jeer and grumble. A thousand men desert. And even the few who've remained unswervingly faithful for so long begin to question. Twenty-five days. This was a new nation. This was a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Fighting for the first breath of life. Reaching for the cup of victory. With failure parching their lips. Time was gone. No word from Broughton. No word from the sea at all. Washington sat down solemnly to write the tragic words that would put an end, for a while at least, to the dissension that rent his country's heart and his. Then, in that blackest hour, 
the thunderous roar of triumph suddenly began. It began with a voice that tensely called, A sail on the horizon! It began with the sound of cannon and a voice that called from the sea. One sail! Two sails! Ten sails! Ha, ha, ha! Twenty more than you can count! Ha, ha, ha! We've done it! General Washington, do you hear? Perry, Decatur, the rest and I, we've brought them back. Thirty-five ships, thirty-five supply ships captured for you, General Washington. For you, America, thirty-five full holes of the powder you need. Powder enough to hold our independence. For a hundred years! So you see, it wasn't always like it is today. Not by a long shot. A handful of ships flying the new flag of free men, upholding the rights and the destiny of a new nation of free men. That was the birth of our Navy. That was the start of a force that's become a tremendous force for liberty and humanity. That's what it is today, written in the lifeblood of Broughton, Perry, and Jones, and Dewey, and thousands of American seamen. The oath to bear true faith and allegiance to the United States of America and to save them faithfully and honestly against all their enemies. Yep, that's right. Yes, and look at it now. Look at those battleships. Destroyers, planes. Look at them on the high seas. Look at them on the storm-tossed waters. Look at them on the ice-caked water, the moonlit, sunlit waters of the world, with the spirit and the ideal of America and the flag of America flying proud and high. Look at them. Look at them everywhere. Yep, it's the greatest navy in the world. Yes, you can say that again, Uncle Sam. Your navy, the greatest navy in the world. Thank you, Walter Houston and Brian Donlevy. Now the voice of Betty Rhodes and Lou Bring directing David Rose's orchestra in Vincent Human's great song, Great Day. When you're down and out, lift up your head and shout, there's gonna be a great day. Angels in the sky promise that by and by there's gonna be a great day. Gabriel will warn you some early morn. You will hear his horn. It's not far away. Hold up your hands and say there's gonna be a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, The fight on Friday night is being presented in behalf of the Navy Relief Society. This is the Navy's own charity that provides speedy care for needy families of men on active duty in Uncle Sam's Navy. If you would care to contribute to this vital cause, send your contribution, however small, to the Navy Relief Society, 90 Church Street, New York City. So have the screen, boxing, radio, and the Navy itself spoken to America. Speaking for the Navy, we've heard Walter Winchell, your New York correspondent. 
For the screen, we've heard the incomparable acting of Walter Houston and Brian Donlevy. For boxing, Joe Lois, the great champion, has spoken on the eve of his Friday night title match with Buddy Bear in Madison Square Garden. We thank Mike Jacobs and his radio contact man, Erwin Rossi, and sports writer Barney Nagler. A word of appreciation to Don Dunphy, who will broadcast the Lewis Bearbox over the Mutual Network Friday evening. And for radio, the Don Lee Studios in Hollywood have been proud to contribute the music of David Rose's orchestra and the voice of Betty Rose. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.